hello and welcome to episode 86 of the 1099 for the week of April 3rd, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Nodden, and with me today is the senior writer for Mafia 3 and someone who probably understands the Florida Heat even more than I do, Charles Webb. Charles, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And I did get that right, right? Were you born and raised in Florida? Because right now I'm in Jacksonville and it's like 95 degrees and I'm just suffering. Tampa, Florida, and I miss it. Not necessarily Florida in and of itself, but the the hot heat of Florida and the storms it would get. Yeah, I'm not used to it. I'm like a Pittsburgh person, and right now I'm like walking outside. I'd walk my dog right before this, and it's like this is this is the worst. It's like immediate walking out, and you're like, I regret every decision I make. I can't run outside. You can like barely even go outside without just immediately sweating. Uh, before we dig into Mafia Three itself, uh, and kind of a lot of this is going to be about the process of games writing. Just last week, I talked to someone who worked on No Man's Sky and what went into that and what it's like writing for a game of that scale. Uh, can you talk a bit about your exact role on Mafia 3? Because you know, there's there's a full team of writers. It's not just you writing the entirety of Mafia 3. There's different people doing different things. So how did you fit into the equation of helping put that story, put the dialogue, put everything together? You're absolutely correct. We do have a writing team. Uh, we're actually a three-person writing team. We have a, C- a lead writer, Bill Harms, uh, who's actually done a lot of rounds of interviews for the game, and uh, the other senior writer, Ed Fowler. Uh, I'm a senior writer. Uh, with that in mind, like we kind of take what's a skeleton of the story uh, with a lot of kind of major plot, pe- plot points put in and, and fill them out with the designers. You know, we, we articulate what the mission's going to look like and what some of the narrative beats are going to look like on a mission-by-mission basis, and also try to create a, a city that feels alive and ambient and, and true to the period. So, uh, you know, kind of a lot of my role is working with different disciplines, working within the writing, you know, our own writing team itself, and trying to articulate moment-by-moment moment what Lincoln's journey was going to be through the course of uh, you know, the entirety of 50 Hours of Mafia 3 and now our DLC. From the writing side of things, how many years of work can go into a game the size of Mafia 3? Because, you know, there's different stages of development, as people know. There's, you think about, like, concept phase, pre-production, production, when it actually goes alpha, and there's different members of the development team are doing different things at each step. So, I mean, when you're worried about the main story, the side quests, just the ambient dialogue, the general structure of the narrative, uh, what was your experience like with Mafia 3? Like, how early did you have to get in on that process, and how long were you on board before the thing actually shipped? Well, we, we, we don't really have kind of like a, a specific timeline here, but, you know, it, it's a couple of years of development, you know. Uh, there's research from the very, very beginning, having a sense of, like, what our city New Bordeaux was going to be like, you know. How is that going to match up with New Orleans? And, and, you know, months and months of that. Then weeks, then into months of, of writing sort of dialogue, ambient barks from the city, um, the individual missions themselves, the various iterations that they've gone through, the the months that it takes for that. Like it's, there's no real concrete answer there because every project is a little bit different, and you know even the specifics of our own project, the specifics of individual missions could could be anywhere from you know, a few weeks to to several months to to build out from end to end. And you know the narrative contribution would would always sort of need to be there to to make sure that we were having consistent thread for Lincoln's story throughout. When you are actually like, when you start a game like Mafia 3, so I work with um, Corey Davis, who did a lot of Spec Ops The Line, and when he was brought in for that project, they, um, Yeager kind of already had an idea of what they wanted to do, and they brought him in, and he added his own influence, and they kind of added, you know, combined it and made their own thing. Was there a set narrative arc 
in mind for Mafia 3 and then you were brought in to write characters, write story, write dialogue? Or did your team, the team of writers that end up writing it, come together and put everything together from scratch? Like, what was really the process going into, like, okay, this is the story we want to tell? Well, when I actually came on board, um, a lot of the, the particular details of the story had been held down. We had a clear sense of what Lincoln was going to do to execute his revenge, you know, what happened to him, why he was so angry, uh, and roughly sort of what his interactions were going to be like with each of the individual underbosses. Uh, my job and Ed's job were, were to sort of put meat on those bones. So, you know, in, in our cases, it was figuring out like what the one or two hour experiences are going to be for each of those hideout loops or for each of those, sorry, for each of those district loops. And, uh, you know, essentially making little episodes within our city of of a story. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, very different from other things that I've worked on in the past. What what else have you worked on in the past? I was trying to, I was was seeing if I could find a Wikipedia article on you or something like that, but what, um, did you, I, I thought I saw you were at Paste before you had done some actual work with different games media did you write a lot of other stories or characters or anything for other games in the past i'd have uh actually i got my start in mobile games narrative focused mobile, mobile games mm-hmm. uh and in those cases it was actually from the very very moment of conception you know figuring out what those those very small dialogue driven games were going to be about uh to figuring out kind of what the mechanics were going to be for each of those individual games uh then i moved on to microsoft and did a lot of editing and writing there i also worked for mtv covering comics films and tv and Later games, moved over to Paste, worked for Nerdist for a little while. So I've bounced around. Uh, you know, I've, I've been on both sides of things. You, you mentioned before kind of reaction to criticism and uh, public reactions to your work. And then I've been on both sides of it, you know, actually producing content and also reacting to content and trying to get a sense of, of what it takes to make a thing and, and, and having some sort of literacy about what what kind of different games are out there and how they're how they're built do you think being on both sides because we did we did mention that earlier do you think that's kind of prepared you for a response to you know whatever you're involved in like i i know that um i've talked to people who've moved over from reviewing games to having their games reviewed and there's a certain i, I think there's always a respect between both groups but when you've been in both spots you you, you know the process of review and then you also know the process of a game like has it given you more respect and you're able to more easily accept reviews because you've you know maybe written some yourself or been on that media side in the past well i think i i I go into it and i try all right let me press this i try very hard to not read neat reviews just because my ego is very fragile and i get (laughs) sad Uh, but you know for the most part uh I, i try to keep in mind that none of this is personal when a person is reviewing a product when a person is reviewing a piece of art they are approaching it in the best possible faith. They are trying to talk about it as a thing that they are reacting to. And, you know, you have to respect that. And sometimes you can, you know, gather really, really great feedback from some of that and it can improve your own art. For the most part, you know, you just never have to kind of approach it as a personal thing, unless they call you out by name, in which case you can feel real bad. But it's it's someone reacting to a piece of work. It's, it's someone reacting to a piece of art and you have to to figure out what there is that you can use from that to, to kind of build on it. But you're not writing it for the reaction. You're writing it because you're, you're, you're making a thing that you're excited about and you want to get it out into the world. And I think that's kind of, that's, that's been what's driving me up to this point, you know, the excitement of sharing the story. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie and pretend like I'm not really, really excited when folks on Twitter say that they love the game, but 
to write it strictly for that reaction, you kind of get locked up. You know, like, well, how are people going to react to this? How are people going to react to this? That way lies madness. You just kind of get stuck in a loop, just focusing on what reactions are going to be versus what tale, what's telling the best possible story, what's telling the most challenging story, what's telling, what's telling the most interesting story. Can you get wrapped up in that reaction when you're doing DLC? And that's something I definitely want to talk about later because there was recent Mafia 3 uh, DLC that happened. But when you read all these reactions and then maybe you know after the review embargo goes up and then you start working on DLC, can you kind of lean too heavily on maybe people saying, oh, I'd rather see this or I'd rather see that? Or do you just try to push that aside and say, you know, I, I don't want to give them what they think they want. I want to give them what they want and they don't even know they want. Well, you know, that, that's always a danger with anything that you're working on, like, Moving from project to project, you can always overcorrect, and then you end up in a situation where you are, quote-unquote, giving people what they want, and that's offering no sort of surprise whatsoever. Um, on the other end of it, you can listen, you can be cognizant of things that people are reacting to, and, you know, any, any of the criticisms of the game that are, that are out there, we're aware of in advance, you know, we, we, we understand Nothing is going to end up exactly perfect out in the world the way we want it to, but we're very, very proud of the work that we've done. We're very, very proud of the, the main game as it re-released. Uh, the DLC is kind of an opportunity for us to, to do some different things and some new things that, you know, whether or not based on um, community feedback, whether or not best based on press feedback, um, they offer a somewhat different experience from the main game. And that's actually something that we hope you'll be able to see across all three DLCs. That they're very, very different from one another and very, very different from our main game. Uh, and as you mentioned, you've worked on other projects in the past. How often have you found, maybe in your personal experience or otherwise, um, that the narrative side of a game can be at odds with the actual gameplay of it? And the reason I bring this up is I was talking to someone recently about Resident Evil 7, which I recently finished. And uh, as a story, there's this moment in it where uh, about six hours in, right? I'm not going to spoil the game. But uh, I really wish it would have ended there because there's a certain mystery that goes on with it that is uh, really important to the horror of it where you don't really know much about this family you're surrounding. You're getting like hints in different notes, but it's not directly told you. You're kind of making some of it up along the way, which helps. You kind of get afraid in a way because you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know why things are this way, but it ends up in this last three hours of the game explaining everything really explicitly and telling you exactly what's going on um, and kind of going in a different direction. And Gameplay wise, I get it. You want that 10 to 12 hour experience if you're, you know, spending $60. You don't want something to end in six hours. But story wise, I was really conflicted because I'm like, I, I think this told a worse story, even if gameplay, you know, the actual shooting, the, the, uh, the mechanics felt, you know, sharper and sharper the deeper you got in. So how challenging is it for you to write a story that, you know, unlike a movie, which is a two hour runtime with Mafia 3, it could be, 30 hours, it could be 40 hours, depending on how many side quests you did. Is that something you have to be constantly cognizant of? Of Like, you know, you, you have to keep balancing all of the you know, crescendos and the slower moments because this could last 30 hours? Well, I mean, this is this is both a question for the narrative team and also a question for the design teams. You know, uh, we want to be able to track the narrative threads and make sure that they feel as satisfying as humanly possible and make sure the player has an emotional reaction to everything that they're doing. But at the same time, we're also making a game. We're making an interactive experience that we want to feel satisfying on that end as well. So, you know, kind of the experience that you're talking about with Resident Evil, I haven't played that far yet. Thank you so much for not spoiling it. But, you know, you have to imagine that there probably were some conversations there about, well, this would make a great narrative choice, but it might not make a satisfying mechanical and interactive choice for the player. And sometimes they're just hard branches there where it's 
I wouldn't say a no-win scenario, but it's a scenario where you have to make a very, very deliberate choice that feels stronger, that feels bolder, and that, that is actual direction. Otherwise, you try to serve both masters, and it, it kind of comes off as wishy-washy. So you end up with a movie that's very, na- I'm sorry, a moment that's very narrative-heavy, but doesn't feel like a rewarding game. Or you feel like you get a, a very mechanical-heavy game moment that doesn't feel like it, it's respecting the narrative. And it seems like that's kind of the response that you had to that moment there. It's a thing that we're cognizant, cognizant of through the entire development process of Mafia 3, you know, just lots and lots of gut checks of, well, alright, where is Lincoln emotionally here? Where should the character be? I'm sorry, where should the other characters be at this point? Uh, how are we communicating this information? What elements are we able to use in our story to communicate this stuff? Also, does the shooting feel good? Does driving feel good? Really, really good here. Mm-hmm. Are we offering a really, really cool combat encounter? Do we have? Do we let the player feel like a very, very competent, capable badass right here? And you know, it's it's being able to answer all those questions in the affirmative that make the best moments in Mafia Three. And it's really just just constantly asking that question throughout the course of your development process. Yeah, and when you are filling in this entire experience with side quests that, of course, have story, you're introducing new characters throughout these side quests, throughout these this content that isn't required to beat the game. Is there ever this point where you're struggling with, you know? How many characters will I introduce in these side quests that people might never see? Is is it feel weird when you're writing dialogue and story options and narrative arcs and stuff like that and taking the game in certain directions? And then in the back of your mind, you might think some people might mainline this and never even see this content. Well, you know, that's what the mainline content is for. That's for the audience who, you know, I'm, I'm a new dad. I bring that up every time because I'm very proud of my little girl. I'm very proud of having a kid. And also, I have no time. That's that's always my caveat for everything. I have no time to do anything. So whenever I'm playing a game, I'm usually mainlining the experience. I'm trying to, I want to enjoy it, but I'm probably going to get through it relatively quickly. I'm not going to be doing a lot of side quests. At the same time, we've got other folks who, they want to dig in. They want to see everything in the world. And that's a lot of the content we're creating. That's a lot of the the content that we're creating in our game is is for those people who want to drill down deep and experience stuff. So we're, we're trying to offer both experiences. You know, we're trying to offer that, you know, perhaps 20, 25 hour main story experience or that, that broader 50 hour experience where you just want to, you want to keep doing what the week delivery and you want to engage in contraband missions and you want to really fill out that, that, that arms dealer menu with, with as much stuff as possible because, you know, you like the city that we've built and you want to spend more time in it. And it's very rewarding to be able to do both of those. It's also a lot of content. It's also a lot of figuring out, you know, what's going to make our city more interesting and what, what we can fill it out that feels satisfying for Lincoln to be doing. Uh, and yeah, some people are never going to experience, but it's kind of a surprise if you do revisit the game and you find all this, this rich, this wealth of stuff that we can engage with. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm like you. I don't have a kid, but like I, the older I get, the, the less time I have and the less I'm able to complete, you know, games the way I used to. I mean, I played all the way through Mafia 3 and I definitely had moments where I broke off and tried to do some side quests, but, you know, a little bit through, I'm like, I, I think I'm going to mainline this. I think I'm going to go all the way through, but like you said, there's those people who want to wring every little bit out of their open world games and all of those side quests and uh, you know, God bless them. Like, if they only have maybe like one game a month or one game every other month, you, you kind of need that out there to ring all that dry um and it probably sounds crazy but it's almost been like six months since mafia 3 came out right around that like have you even had a chance oh god yeah yeah, right when you say it out loud it sounds insane uh have you had a chance to step back and kind of enjoy what your team put together like have you had time to reflect on the game 
pat yourself on the back for what really worked, evaluate what didn't, and really kind of think about the entire process. Because I know being a part of a team myself, there's this kind of go, go, go attitude as soon as something comes out. You're thinking about updates. In your case, you're thinking about DLC. For us, we were thinking about, you know, bringing it to, from 3D to 2D and stuff like that. So have you kind of had maybe a little bit to you know, kick your feet up and be like, oh, this was this thing we really did here was great and this is awesome and I'm proud of Mafia 3? We have a lot of small moments like that. You know, we, we, we see the reactions from folks. I, mean, I, I mentioned like Twitter reactions from folks sometimes. Like it's it's really cool to see how responsive folks have been to the game after this point. Like posting GIFs online, posting their videos, posting their playthroughs. Uh, the critical consensus has been kind of in different places, but you know, seeing the way people have engaged with the game in ways that we didn't expect, um, that's been really, really cool. And at the same time, you know, it's also just kind of fed into our enthusiasm for rolling into the DLC development process and just being, you know, engaged and excited about it and saying, all right, it's time to get to work. People respond to, to what we did before. Let's try to wow them again. Let's try to do some great stuff for them. Uh, and, you know, we, we've got nominated for some awards. We actually won one recently out of the New York Game Critics Circle uh, for narrative. Uh, you know, we just got nominated for a couple of BAFTAs, gaming BAFTAs for a game. So we feel good. Mm. We, we feel really, really good. But we're also trying to do the work. We're also trying to focus on continuing to make this the best possible game. Yeah, and you did mention some of that like Twitter criticism or reviews or stuff like that. And going back to that really quickly, how much of like that criticism does your team look at and go like, oh, yeah, we knew that was an issue versus, oh, we had no idea that might get dinged and vice versa. If it was something positive, you're like, oh, I didn't think that would be highlighted as much in a positive way. And same thing, we're like, oh, we already we knew this would be here because I've talked to some developers who, you know, you talk about bugs or something like that. And like, oh, no, we, we, we knew what was going on. Like, we understand before the reviews came out. Like, what was your kind of balance between knowing and not knowing when the reviews went live? Well, you know, I, I can't speak to specifics. Uh, but I know we, we generally have a sense of like what people are going to be responsive to. Um, you know, we know people are going to really enjoy the driving. We knew that people were going to really enjoy the shooting. We saw a lot of that online. Uh, we were really surprised about the strong reaction to Donovan, which was super, super positive. Uh, he's played by Lane Compton in the game. Um, you know, he's a character who's running around with Lincoln throughout the course of the entire experience, and we knew, okay, people are going to find him funny and kind of fun. But there's just been so much love for the character, which is, is has been just really, really heartening. Um, I mean, just as far as like, kind of having this this sort of prescience about what you know, what sort of perceived flaws or internally perceived flaws are going to be reacted to out there in the world, um, you you should know. Like, developers are going to be their own worst critics. So before a thing gets out of the door, we're probably going to know every single quirk, problem, whatever. Uh, is in a game, and you know, probably half of them, no one's going to encounter. The other half are you know known things that we feel are that you could potentially feel are imperfect, and, and you're just going to want to do better going forward. Uh, but you can't get so hung up. You just have to figure out how to just keep improving yourselves and keep improving the work that you're doing, and, and learn from it. Don't you know? Don't keep beating yourself up over it. Yeah, and you can of course you know learn from your experiences writing and what other people say, but did you have any other inspirations going into Mafia 3 that, you know, any other game stories or something that grabbed you that, of course, you don't want to, like, mimic it and make the same thing, but maybe you saw a studio do something, and you're like, I want to take, you know, I, I want to follow kind of that mold, I want to take a risk like that, or I, I really appreciate what this person did, 
uh, and I want to do something similar. Did you have any uh, inspirations within the industry that you can really point to before, uh, for Mafia 3? I mean, we, we didn't really have a whole lot of one-to-one stuff. We, we just kind of like looked all over the place at, at different things. And, and I, I speak broadly as, as far as the entire team because we were just kind of poking, pulling from all over the place for different things uh, in the game and what kind of feelings they evoke from us when we play them. So, you know, I don't know, looking at the, the Phantom Pain and just this, this big open world systems driven and, and kind of feels like it's very, very responsive to you as the player. We definitely tried to do something like that for Lincoln. That had been in the plans for, for quite a while. Uh, or, you know, kind of along the same lines, uh, previous Hitman games. Or just figuring out ways to deliver like a big, old cinematic experience that you might be able to get in something out of, uh, uh, of Naughty Dog. You know, we, we wanted to be able to cobble together, co- sorry, cobble together all these different gaming experiences into something that felt coherent. So it's, it's hard to say, you know, one for one. Uh, we, we're trying to pull this from this. We're trying to pull this from this because that way lies madness. Then you kind of get hung up on, on doing that thing or not doing that thing exactly so you can do your own thing. Mm-hmm. And instead, just figuring out like, different moods that we want to transpose into our own game. Uh, you know, making sure that we had a, a shooter that felt like, very, very sticky and very, felt really, really good to handle our guns. I keep coming back to that because I think that's just. It's such a strong aspect of our game that I, I love just grabbing controller and playing myself and then just running through the body and, and messing up some dudes. <laughs> um, and I, I think, you know, I, I think we made something incredibly impressive there. And I feel like, you know, jumping into a muscle car in our game felt really, really good. And we probably talked to our designers and they're going to cite anything from like Forza to, to uh, Burnout to, you know, any other sort of great big open world games is, is like points of inspiration for how we want our cars to feel uh, while still feeling fun while still having a little bit of that, that sort of looser arcade feel to them that will allow you to drift and draft and, and, and do all sorts of crazy stuff around the city. Yeah, I just actually driving in that game feels fantastic. Like I would get lost doing that for a while of just like randomly traveling and like missing turns because I was like more worried about the, the, the actual sensation of driving rather than getting where I needed to go at that time. Uh, have, have you worked on indie games in the past? I know you said you did some other work. W- were there any indie projects that you had your name attached to? Uh, not really. No, I mean, I've, I've worked on sort of larger, you know, larger studio products, projects. So you know, that first game studio that I was working at, Longtail, was for all intents and purposes, all intents and purposes, um, we were trying to deliver sort of triple A level mobile games mm. back in 2005, 2006, when mobile games weren't really these big expansive experiences. Uh, you know, then moving on to Microsoft. So I, it's, it's been mostly big things up to this point. Uh, I kind of like working with a big collaborative team where, you know, we can walk over to an artist and see all this kind of rad stuff going on on their screen and be able to make these, these just having this big canvas to paint upon broadly as, as a developer is, is really, really satisfying. Is is there a lot of pressure though when you do work for a game the size of Mafia Three that you know I felt like for a while there was you know commercials all over the place there's a lot of hype surrounding it is is there sort of of course you know I'm a writer I have anxiety I think a lot of writers have anxiety before they publish anything is there even more when it's this big of a stage? Uh, yes, but also you know you, give, you, you just have to keep doing it you just have to keep the work going. I, I know this all seems, sounds so simplistic and it seems like I'm just able to let all this wash over me. No, I'm, I'm a crazy person about all this stuff. The, the best thing that I can ever do 
uh, and, and I feel like a lot of people on our team were able to do this as well, is just compartmentalize it, you know? The expectations are going to be the expectations. Mafia 2 is a beloved game. Mafia is a beloved game, and Mafia 3 wanted to really just honor that tradition and make a game that felt satisfying, that felt deep, but also its own thing that, that had the Hangar 13 imprint on it. So, you know, at the end of the day, what we're trying to honor more than anything else is, is the experience of, of creating a, a, a satisfying game for, for any player that's coming to it expecting like a fun, deep, and, and dark open world game. Uh, anything outside of that, anything in terms of hype, anything in terms of uh, expectations is just kind of, you kind of have to just let it fall by the wayside and, and focus more on what you're trying to build. Yeah, absolutely. And we did mention DLC earlier, and Faster Baby is out now, which is uh, one of the DLC packs. So I, I think this is something that I've always wondered, because I think a lot of people assume, you know, the the game is done, you take a break, and then you work on the DLC. For you, were you just working on DLC as soon as the initial game went gold? What's the process as a writer to put together these additional packs of content that can be story-heavy? Um, when What's the timeline? What's it exactly like? You know, it varies from team to team. Like, uh, in some, it's you're working on it kind of in parallel as you're closing out the, the previous game. In some, it's like a nice hard break. Uh, you take a little minute to regroup and, and recoup and then start working on the new thing. And then ours was a little bit more of a hybrid. You know, we're uh, finishing out Mafia 3 and, and just really trying to answer questions about what we wanted to do for the DLC. We had a general sense of what it was that we wanted to do and we were just articulating on that vision. So yeah, it was a little bit more of a hybrid for us, uh, being able to roll onto, onto DLC. Was the goal for each to kind of give them, of course you want to make them unique in their own way, but you think, and I'm not comparing your game, you know, apples to apples to Grand Theft Auto, but I think it was, you know, Grand Theft Auto 4 that kind of did very specific, unique feeling and tone DLC packs that introduced a, you know, large set of new characters. Was that kind of your goal too, to make each feel like more of a tangent or a side story or something kind of, pretty different than the core game instead of tacking on more to the main story? You know, it was very much about trying to see what sort of situation we could put Lincoln in that didn't feel like the main game. Um, you know, with, with Faster Baby, he's, he's going after a racist town on the, the outskirts of New Bordeaux. And, you know, we're, we're restricting your access to, to your, your, uh, your associates and, and really kind of putting the focus on a lot of really awesome Hollywood stunt action driving. Um, while also giving him a potential love interest. It's, it's really seeing how the character's going to bounce off those different situations. I, I think we were very, very character-focused in our DLC. What new scenarios can we put him in, and how can we, you know, how can we draw more out of him over the course of the, the couple of hours the player will be able to spend with him in these, in these spaces? And also, you know, give some brand new weapons, give him a great new vehicle, give him some cool outfits and stuff like that. So that, and again, it offers something different from what you got in the main game, um, narratively, but mechanically, and also just cosmetically. Did you personally have a favorite outfit that you always put Lincoln in? Because that was one of my favorite things, is just like him being in random crazy clothes during cutscenes. Like, did you have a specific one you always rolled with? Look, man, I'm not going to say it doesn't feel really, really good to kill a bunch of people in a tuxedo. Just, <laughs> it, 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 but it's, it's, it's nice. It's a nice thing to do. Our, our team came up with some really, really cool costumes for this game, and I'm just so satisfied to see this character, who, you know, he, he's very buttoned up, he's, he's got a very, very particular, <laughs> he's got a very, very particular aesthetic 
throughout the course of the game. It's very, very businesslike. So being able to get a little bit, get a little bit playful with it has been great. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things. Did you end up getting, and of course, like you've been around these characters for so long, like how attached do you get to specific characters? Like Lincoln, of course, fictional and everything like that, but like how, I don't know, like fond do you get and almost sad when you, let's say, finish the DLC and have to walk away? Like, do you miss writing stuff about Lincoln and for Lincoln? I, I feel like, I, and I hope this is a good rule of thumb. If you're writing a character and you miss them when you're not writing them, when you close the final draft document or whatever kind of script you're working in on that character and you're like still thinking about things that you want to do with them and stories that you want to tell with them, that's when you're kind of on to something. And uh, I think like Cassandra, you know, she, she's a wonderful character to tell stories with. Burke is a wonderful character to tell stories with. Vito, bringing him back, a wonderful character to tell stories with. And, you know, to, to be away from them writing the, these DLC characters has, has been really, really interesting. Like, at the same time, I'm always thinking, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we kind of plug Cassandra in here, kind of plug Vito in here? <laughs> but then we're also offering these new characters who I'm now also excited about. I'm like, oh, if we did this, this, and this, I wonder if we can bring this person back to do this. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's maybe like a half-ego thing, half just falling in love with your work, and, and hopefully that's the thing that you're doing whenever you're writing anything. You're falling in love with your characters. Because then it stings a little bit more when something happens to them. You're, it resonates a lot more when something happens to them. Yeah, and, and speaking of falling in love with your work, is, is there any moments you can remember throughout the story that maybe you had a pretty heavy hand in where, uh, I'm not going to say your favorite part of the story, but one of those kind of like, oh, hell yeah, that was that was a really good thing. Like, that worked out really well. That uh, the way we wrote that, the way we designed that section really fleshed out this character in in a perfect way. Do you kind of have, it's kind of like choosing between your children, but do you kind of have a singular moment in Mafia 3's story, even if it's a side quest or main quest or otherwise, where you really felt like, you know, this is what this game is about, this is a perfect representation of what we're going for? Well, his story's kind of woven throughout the course of the entire game, but we have uh, a radio host, Remy Duvall, uh, who is this this sort of... Uh, syrupy voiced radio broadcaster who talks about politics and news the day in New Bordeaux and uh, at a certain point you learn that he's got a bit of involvement with Sal Marcano and Olivia Marcano and I know we're six months out from the game but just in case anyone out there hasn't, uh, hasn't picked the game up I'd love for them to kind of experience it for the first time themselves um, it was deeply satisfying to tell his story and deeply satisfying to deal with Remy in a very very final way meet him on a hill at Frisco Fields. And, you know, it was an opportunity to, to work with a performer that I really, really liked a lot. You know, it was a performer to, I'm sorry, an opportunity to tell a story that I was really, really excited about and just uh, to do something that was very, very visceral, to, to kind of experience Lincoln at his, I wouldn't say his angriest, but his most determined. Like, he, he sees some dirt going down and he, he has a chance to deal with a person who uh, has been a victimizer. And, and handle them. Handle them real seriously. It's, I mean, so much of the game is about, you know, revenge. It's, uh, visceral is a great word for it. Um, but how did you kind of balance in the writing, making him someone who, you know, is this really this tough dude who is taking down this kind of mafia empire, but at the same time, you don't want to make him so angry, so violent that the player kind of gets turned off by it. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to root for this guy. Like, how did you balance it so that he is kind of terrifying at moments, but you're still rooting for him throughout? 
Well, one bit of we've always tried to communicate is Lincoln is like a dude in his early 20s, I think, if I recall correctly. I think he's 22 or 23. I'm a little, a little fuzzy brain right now. Uh, you know, he's in his early 20s. This is a guy who immediately went from his adoptive father's home to war. And then he's back. He doesn't, he's not a worldly man. You know, he's, he's, he's just fiercely loyal and his loyalty is the thing that burns him in the opening act. Uh, and that's kind of the thread that we were able to track to, to keep him humanized. You know, he's doing all of this really gnarly stuff and, and, and it is very, very gnarly. It is, I think he would be the first to admit that he's doing horrible things from a place of loyalty. You know, this this sense of betrayal, this sense of these people who are close to him and more important to him than anything in the entire world being taken from him. His world being taken from him. And he, he feels like Sal Marcano and, and, and Marcano's organization has to answer for that. Um, and I think that's that's something that's very human for a lot of people. You know, this idea of what if you lose your family? What what happens to you inside? You know, what happens when you suffer loss? Like you you kind of you lose something so so very fundamental when, when somebody leaves your life in a particularly violent way. And Lincoln is somebody who's able to act on it, not in ways that I would even necessarily advocate but ways that i understand yeah and it's just kind of keeping that in mind you know making sure that any of the acts of violence that he commits they are one against i guess the best word to use is deserving but it's kind of that's a, a slippery one to use but against deserving people and against people that, that in a way that didn't feel necessarily cool all the time you know, it, was just, it was work it's a business it's a thing to get back at something i mean again I, I i did root for him the entire time even when you're doing pretty awful things and like you said he would admit himself are awful things you're still kind of with him on this you know trail to you know to get revenge and uh to stay loyal to what he's always been loyal to and it's it's a different idea but when you look at something like mad men which i'm a big fan of like you know don draper in so many different ways is kind of repulsive in how he treats women and how he talks about certain things but there's this certain aspect of it where you're rooting for him and it's that kind of balance between how far does he go in one direction before he loses you and how much does he go in the other direction it's yeah and i think you did a fantastic job with that uh and thank you something that uh i would love to know i know there's been a lot of talk about you know uh diversity in games um i know you spoke with austin walker from waypoint at one point and also the people from spawn on me and you had fantastic conversations with them but just to kind of dig into it a little bit, how heartening was it to see to see the, the the sales success of Mafia Three from the perspective of diversity in AAA games? I mean, for so long you you kind of hear this like, oh well, you know, you, you look at the everyman in a lot of AAA games where the Nathan Drake and I love the Uncharted series, but you get very used to like regular white dude as the hero. And when you see something like Mafia Three that doesn't take that route in your mind, to a certain extent, this confirmed that. You know, we can and should do more than what we've done in the past in major releases. We can take these, you know, what some people see as chances, try different things, and the audience reacts to it. You know, I, I don't want you to sit here and brag about your sales. I'm not going to ask you to, but I will a little bit for you. The game did really well. So, like, did you think that kind of proved a bit of something? Well, let me use, uh, you know, another point that's out there, you know, another data point that's out there. Like, Get Out, uh, yeah. hugely successful film. I think the budget was something like $5 million, and it's made... Uh, you know, north of a hundred million dollars right now, uh, as a very, very specific kind of horror story with a black lead, explicitly about blackness, and, and it's an explicitly political film. But the 
typical narrative is that, you know, quote-unquote black films don't do well. They don't travel. They don't go overseas. Hidden Figures, another film that is actually making tons of money overseas as well as here in the United States. Um, there, there are a lot of myths that are told in entertainment that, that are just kind of self-perpetuating. You know, black stories don't do well, but, you know, they're also not marketed, so they're not going to do well because no one knows that they exist. You create the good stuff, people are going to respond to it. Um, you sidestep the, the idea, of, you use the word, word everyman, you sidestep the idea that the everyman story is, is some white dude, you know, rolling around experiencing the story because that is a white person's story sometimes by necessarily. He's just interacting with other white people, you know, experiences informed by his whiteness. There is not necessarily an everyman story. So you make the commitment to tell stories that are specific, stories that are lived experiences, stories that are about people of color, stories that are about queer people, stories that are about women, you know, stories that aren't just strictly the same white dude story. And, you know, it's not to integrate those. The Uncharted games are incredible. I, I would be lying if I said otherwise. Uncharted 4 is, is a tremendous work of art, but, you know, I'm really, really excited for their their expansion. It's about uh, I'm blanking on the character's name right now. Nadine. I think that's it. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's her story? That's going to be fascinating. Like, you know, give us those mechanics and then give us another protagonist who isn't necessarily the the same one that we've seen over and over again. And then let's see how she will inform this story. Let's see how her background will inform this story. And you know. It's all advantage because you're then you're you're opening yourself up to telling different types of stories. You're opening up you're opening yourself up to drawing in a different type of audience, uh, and I think that's that's the win. You know? Trying to tell new stories, find find opportunities to tell new stories, find people from those marginalized groups to join you in telling those stories. Don't just kind of make assumptions and just trying to do it yourself. It's it's an opportunity. Anything else? And not to put you on the spot, but you did mention the Uncharted DLC where Nadine's in that. Um... There's been a couple of other games that came out, but can you point to any other games that are either coming out or have come out recently that do try new things with, you know, like you mentioned, like black characters, uh, queer characters, or just something different that you really enjoyed? Maybe a game that tried to have a message that maybe we haven't seen too much in games that you think really did, did a good job of representing those people? Hmm. It's going to take me a moment. Uh, because to be fair, to be very, very honest and, and, and maybe disappoint everyone who's listening, I've mostly been playing games that are not narrative, narrative focused over the last few months. I think Overwatch has been the thing that's eaten up. Oh my god, me too. But even then, like, like there, the team at Blizzard, yeah, the team at Blizzard, they said, alright, we're gonna look at their, our team, I'm sorry, our, our characters in this game as a global collection of personality types. And, you know, some of them may not necessarily hit the mark, but so many of them do. People respond to them so well, you know. You've got characters from Southeast Asia, and you've got characters from the United States. You've got characters from North Africa, and and the Middle East. Like that's crazy to me. And it's it's great, and it doesn't feel like it doesn't necessarily feel like this very very aggressive thing. And, and like I said, it, it's maybe imperfect, but it's still good, and it's still satisfying to see these these characters with these different faces and and this implied story that Blizzard's done a really really good job of you know, conveying. And then they explicit story that they've done a very good job of communicating, you know, saying canonically the Tracer is queer is like, that's rad, you know, she's just there, she's the face of the game, and she's also a queer icon, that's that's pretty rad, just to, to lean into that, I, I, I respect them for being able to do that, and I, I, I hope going forward more teams are able to 
to understand this isn't a huge risk. You just do it. Just go for it. Own your decisions, and, and you're gonna you're gonna grab more people that way. Yeah, Overwatch is a fantastic choice that didn't even cross my mind because, like you, I've put far too many hours. I, I don't, it's somewhere around 250 at this point into that game, and you don't initially think of it that way because it doesn't have that story focus. But like you said, I mean, the main character on the like the box art is a queer character, and there's you know, people. There's so many different types of people in that game. So yeah, it's it's cool to see, especially on that scale and scale like Mafia Three again, people take things that a lot of people call risks, but maybe we shouldn't think of them like risks. Maybe we should just, you know, like you said, just go for it. Just try it. Like, it's 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 working, and it's really cool to see that work, not just in games, but also in movies and other media. Uh, Charles, here, here's the, the perfect time for you to promote yourself on social media and otherwise. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter, and is there anything you're currently working on that you can talk about without breaking any sort of embargoes? Uh, you can find me at the Charles Webb on Twitter, uh, where I'm mostly complaining about movies and uh, you know bitching about the limited amount of TV that I'm able to watch, and sh- probably sharing pictures of food that I'm cooking. Uh, as far as projects, I'm just currently uh, chugging away at DLC, and I'm hoping to share more with you guys uh, in the future about what we've been working on. You know, it's, it's just get out there and enjoy faster. With you. Really, really proud of the work we've done. There. All right, fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Mafia Three was. A really interesting game. I really did enjoy uh, the narrative direction of that, and I was excited to, you know, we set this up a while ago to kind of talk through it and see where your head was at with it. And I am really looking forward to see, you know, what you work on next and where you go next because I, I feel like Mafia Three opened a lot of doors. I sincerely appreciate that, dude. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk today. Uh, feel free to reach out anytime. I like to talk. If you can't tell, that's a southern trait. <laughs> Well, you're good at it, so no worries. Uh, So thanks again, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.